Hey, everybody. This episode of Clinic Gym Radio is brought to you by our new communication system, Clinic Gym Connect. Now, I said communication system. It's also a marketing system. It's also a customer service system, and it's also a follow-up system. It's all of those things because it is a communication system, and you can't provide great service, great care, or great marketing without great communication. So the secret here is that we want you to use text message-based communication. It's what people do today. If you're just emailing your patients, if you're adding them to email lists through MailChimp and Gmail and all that, man, I just think you're going to struggle to grow. But we have some solutions built into our system that will help you grow and make this year the best year you've ever had in clinic and hopefully in your gym. So check out clinicgymconnect.com. Again, that's clinicgymconnect.com. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic gym hybrid model. And over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the US. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. This is actually the first episode of 2021, and it is my pleasure. Oh, I'm Dr. Josh Sanderley, by the way, and it's my pleasure today to be joined by Adam Halseth from Scottsdale, Arizona. Adam, what is up, my friend? Not a whole lot. Just enjoying the sunny, warm weather outside of most of the country. There you go. Now, you recently, fairly recently, the last couple of years, moved from one of the Dakotas. Uh, South Dakota. No need to specify... When it comes to winter, all you need to know is any Dakota in the winter sucks, and Arizona is definitely better than that, huh? I prefer to associate myself with South Dakota. We don't. We have no part of North Dakota. Right. Um, yes, uh, loving the move so far. Can't yeah, complain. and with all the time that you are not spending shoveling snow and de-icing your driveway, uh, you've been able to play a little bit more golf down there and some other things. Absolutely, golfing, exercising more, just in getting that vitamin D. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot more I can do down here than I could do up north right now. That's awesome. Well, Adam, uh, give us a little bit about of your background and whatnot for those listening who may not have ever heard of you. Uh, you and I kind of run each other in the TPI scene and the World Golf Fitness Summits. We've been to a few of those, but give them a background of what your license is, what you do, who you work with, et cetera. Yeah, so I'm a physical therapist. I have my uh, sports certification specialty. Um, got that a couple of years ago. Uh, met you through TPI. Um, SFMA, that all that. Uh, I've gone through all three levels of TPI medical. Mm. Um, written some articles for them. Uh, also, we've done some work with other companies um, via podcasts and things. Um, but yeah, my background, my my niche, I would say, is rotational athletes. Um, I work with overhead athletes, rotational athletes. Um, also, I do general ortho too. Uh, my current you clinic. Gotta pay work, the bills, right? Like pay general the bills. <laughs> ortho pays the bills, and exactly. that's to get your your motor yep. going. The clinic I work at. Uh, primarily known for just being a general ortho clinic. I okay. moved down here because they wanted to bring more of the sports medicine, especially being in Scottsdale, um, ramp up the golf side of things. Um, so that's been a lot of fun working with a couple of pro golfers, a whole lot of country club members. Um, it's been a, just been good to put all my, uh, my training to use down here. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to get into golf, uh, I would say there's three places to go. It's either Florida uh, Phoenix area, Scottsdale area, or Vegas. 
And I really only include Vegas because I'm there. So yeah, <laughs> South Dakota was not one of them. For that yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, what I want to talk to you about, uh, number one, is you're a PT. I'm a Cairo. Some folks think that that means that we see the world totally differently. Uh, my example always is that, you know, if, uh, if you go to the South and you order, you go to a restaurant and you order grits, they're going to serve you something that's ground up corn mixed with, you know, chicken broth and served in a styrofoam bowl. If you come here to Vegas, they're going to, and you, you go to the strip and you go walk into a really nice casino with a really nice restaurant, they're going to serve you something called polenta, which is ground up corn uh, mixed with, uh, you know, chicken broth. And they're going to serve it on a nice huge dish served by a waiter wearing a tuxedo. But in the end, it's ground up corn mixed with chicken broth. Right. right. Which, which one of us is a styrofoam bowl versus the fancy dish? Well, I hate to break it to you. I think PTs, you know, you guys work, you know, you do an hour with everybody for five bucks and Kairos at least do 15 minutes for 30 bucks. So I think we're more polenta than you guys are. All right. Can't, can't disagree with you. But in, in the end, uh, all that it means is we, we are doing the same things, right? We're putting our hands on people, trying to move a joint, mobilize a joint, stretch a muscle, reduce inflammation, teach Making exercises. People better. Yeah. Get people better. That's bottom line. Yeah. And there's this, this discussion oftentimes of like, oh, do you, do you guys, are, you know, uh, is there a battle between Kairos and PTs? Uh, how do you feel about that? I'll start off with that. Uh, I feel like in my mind, uh, no, uh, basically it comes down to, I think if, if you can make someone better um, from our world, like, you know, muscles, musculoskeletal, neuro, whatever the aspect is, if you can make something better, it doesn't matter how you do it. Oh, um, you cut out my friend. Oh, um, there we are. You're back. Got me? You're back. All right. Um, so when I see it, if, if you make someone better, you're a healthcare provider, you make someone better, it doesn't matter how you do it. You can be a Cairo, you can be a PT. Bottom line is if you make somebody better, I'm going to refer people to you. Um, yeah. also, the only I, caveat I would add is uh, I want, you know, I want you to be great and I want you to treat my customers nicely. Like if you're yeah, the greatest sure. in the world, but you're kind of an ass, I'm going to probably not refer to you as much as someone else. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, customer service is a big thing too. Yeah. Um, but if you know what you're doing, you do good work, you're nice to the clients. Um, doesn't matter to me if you're a PT or a Cairo, uh, just make them better. Yeah. Yeah. My feeling is, uh, if you're focusing on whether or not PTs and Cairo's see, don't see eye to eye or are battling, you're focused on the wrong part of the equation here. You, you probably suck. And that's why you're trying to grab onto this idea of like, well, they're a PT or they're a Cairo and blah, blah. And so what I want to cover with you today is let's assume people out there don't want to suck. And so they've moved past the idea of who cares about with the license. All they care about is making people better. Right. But I want to go over a list of like five or six things that absolutely piss you off about the world of hands-on care, rehab, you know, exercise, everything we do, whether you're PT or Cairo, things that piss you off. Because I want to throw a couple of things that piss me off about how the world isn't progressing. And I want to talk about them and let's knock them out of the park. Perfect. Um, yeah, I think All right. first yeah, well, one... Yeah, the first one. What is your first one? So it goes hand in hand with what we're saying. Uh, I think the first one is when certain people think there's only one way to do fix somebody. Um, there, to me, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Uh, I think if you do what you're good at, right? Uh -huh. I'm trained differently than you as a Cairo, me as a PT. Uh, my training is a little bit different. There's probably some things I do better. There's some things you do better. I think you're going to use your skills to make your clients better. I'm going to use my skills to make my clients better. Um, I think you see it all the time in social media too. Some people are just full strength, nothing else. Some people are full manual, nothing else. Right. Realistically, there's probably good aspects of manual, good aspects of strength training. Um, right. you need 
Mm-hmm. And if you're an expert at manual, you probably do more manual. You probably make feel better. If you're an expert programmer or strength training, you probably make feel better that way as well. Now, let me ask you this, because that pisses me off too. When people are like, oh, this is the only blah, 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 blah. Now, it especially drives me nuts when I teach SFMA and you, you get a clinic director who's like, we follow the Queensland protocol or blah, blah, blah. And it's right. like, fantastic. Which It's a good system of bumpers, but you're, you can't tell me that you use the exact same protocol on an 85-year-old as you do a 15-year-old. If you do, you shouldn't be a clinic director, number one. And also, you probably suck. There are different levels of strength. There's different levels of flexibility. There's different concerns mm-hmm. for what the next 10 years of that person's life is going to be, right? Correct. And to say like, oh, I'm going to rehab their ankle the exact same way, it's like, are we on the same planet here? You're an idiot. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Now, maybe the protocols say reduce inflammation, you know, gain uh, uh, ranges of motion and then strength in a certain format, that's fine. But to sit there and say, oh, we're going to only follow, follow this protocol or even worse, I don't know if you get this. Sometimes you'll see a surgeon, like there's a, a, a there's a elbow wrist forearm surgeon here in town. And if you get anybody that's had any sort of uh, carpal surgery at all, doesn't matter, it's TFCC, carpal tunnel, anything. Right. You basically get this fax or an email with exactly what to do. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. You see this a lot as a PT. You get a lot more post-surgical referrals than I do. Yeah, we, I mean, there's certain surgeons that will definitely give you specific protocols to follow. Mm-hmm. Luckily, where I'm at now, most of our surgeons that trust us, they just say, eval and treat, whatever it is. But there <laughs> yeah. are some that have very specific protocols to follow. It could be yeah. a shoulder person. And they, you know, again, it could be your 18-year-old labor repair. Or it could be a 60-year-old pickleball player with a labor repair, and they want us to progress them almost the same way. Right. Um, I think that, you know, for those listening, if you get sent over a protocol from a surgeon, I, I think that's the international sign of, I've gotten sick of dealing with sucky rehab, and so I'm going to direct it. And I think that if you get that list of protocols, that is a sign to say, take this person to lunch and talk about it. Right. Because... Most of, in my experience, most of the time you just start talking about it and go, yeah, sometimes we do this or with very strong young athletes, we'll do this. Or, you know, with, um, you know, I know it sounds crazy and shoulder rehab for overhead athletes that are females, like, you know, teenage females, but we usually start actually with pelvis and core training before we actually address the shoulder rehab. And then I can go into a whole diatribe of why that is. And you right. see their eyes light up and they're kind of thinking like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. You know, and, right. and it's like, but if they're sending you a protocol, it's saying, hey, somebody else did really shitty rehab uh, in the last five years and I got sick of it because they don't want to send their patients to not get better. Right, right. And obviously yeah. they have, they all come with their own protocols, but over time they learn about who they can trust, what, what therapists or chiros, whoever it is they refer to, who they can trust, who they can't trust. Right. Um, and if you're getting those protocols after a period of time, means you've done something where they have not gained your trust. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think a lot of surgeons, at least the ones I've dealt with, they won't trust you until you prove to them they can trust you. I think that's a good way to say that. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, I think we beat that horse. I want to move on to one that drives me absolutely nuts. And I see What's this that, a lot Josh? in, in, in my profession. Um, and I don't know if you see this as well, but people don't know what the hell they're trying to do, like what the end result they want to get out of the, the, exercise, the joint manipulation, the soft tissue, whatever it is, they just cannot clearly articulate what the hell they're trying to do. I'll use this. A lot of people say like, oh, I want to create more extension. 
And I think, okay, are we talking lumbar extension or are we talking hip extension? Because those blend a lot right at the pelvis. But if you tell me what you're looking for, I think we can find the right treatment and the right exercise. And they go, oh, I don't know. I'm just trying to get her to extend. I'm like, of what? Because the muscles that limit hip extension are wildly different than those that limit lumbar extension. And you kind of have to worry about some like spinal components and bony structures because they're a little bit different ball and socket versus spine, oh, like the spine. And it drives me nuts though. People just can't get down and identify what the heck they want to do. The, I think does this first, happen in PT as well? Absolutely does. I think the first part is, are you able to recognize the difference? Um, I, I, True. You do assess it first, but if you see someone, let's say they're doing a, a prone hip extension. Are you able to recognize, are they actually extending through the spine or the hip or a little bit of both? Um, are they compensating right. through the spine because they can't do it through the hip? Right. Um, but I don't think you should ever go in with any kind of treatment unless you know exactly what you're trying to accomplish with that treatment. Yeah. I know that, you know, like there's a lot of uh, blending of the lanes that we are in now. Like you also coach people in strength, but you don't label yourself a strength coach. Correct. Yeah. Um, some of the really great providers I know, like Charlie Weingroff, that guy could be a world-class strength coach, could be a world-class PT. And for his clients, he kind of functions both roles. But his clientele, oftentimes he, he hands them off to an even higher level strength coach, right? Right. But the, the stay in your lane kind of mentality really comes to, to mind here when you're dealing with, is this a hip or spine issue? Because that's one thing where I think that a lot of trainers and strength coaches don't, they're not really un they're not able to understand the subtle differences there and trace it back to what the person's complaints are. So if they have basically complaints that are very similar to facet syndrome, it's like they don't need, you need to handle that. And that's a spinal issue. It's not a hip issue, you know, and that takes a lot of knowledge of anatomy and physiology and joint mechanics to get there. Right. And I, in my personal practice, um, this might be one of the differences you and I have, Josh, I have, when I was a new grad, I tried to diagnose everything very specifically, like a facet syndrome or whatever it was, or a herniated nucleus pulposus. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't try to get as specific. Um, I'm much more general with my diagnosis. Like they have um, low back pain with a mobility limitation. Mm-hmm. And I got to figure out what that mobility limitation is. Is it actually a, is it a T-spine limitation that's causing the low back pain? Is it a mm-hmm. hip Limit, hip mobility limitation. But um, the for me, I didn't get much value out of specific diagnosis. I've become a much better PT with better results when I diagnose it more movement-based. Yeah, I think, I think you have a good point there, but I, I want people to hear the progression of things. You started doing that. You tried it. You yes. went through it and you got to the end. Because this is like delegating workload, right? Like if you just walk into a place and you're like, hey, Adam, go mop the, the kitchen. It's like, well, who the hell are you and what are you doing? But yeah. if at first I start out mopping the kitchen, I realize, hey, there are other tasks I should be doing. I'm going to hire somebody and go, hey, I want to hire you. And the goal is that you're going to mop the kitchen. Now there's not a, that's not a problem. What is a problem is just abdication. So if people don't understand what's going on and go, oh, they just have low back pain. I have a real problem with that. Like you need to at right. least have a, like with disc, an HNP, there are some worries and there are some red flags you're going to be looking Correct. for if you suspect that, right? 
Correct. Yeah. You don't yeah, just think definitely. like, oh yeah, what Adam just said is you don't need to learn to accurately diagnose. No, no. Adam knows the rules and therefore he can break the rules. Yeah. Very much aware of the all the precautions and everything with those diagnoses. Yeah. But from uh, my exercise prescription, um, with those precautions in mind, it helps for me to diagnose it more on a more of a functional level. Cool. All right. All right, so we covered that. People don't know what the hell they're doing. And your first one was one method. Uh, you know, there's only one way to do things. Right. What's something else that drives you nuts? Something else drives me nuts. This is a uh, kind of a goes hand hand what we're doing talking about right now. But when people have cookie cutter treatments, remember that is if you have someone that comes in with, and I know that they're you're you're seeing them for their knee. Right? I don't have no nothing else. I don't know if it's ACL. I don't know if it's meniscus. I don't know if they even had a knee replacement. All right. I know is you're treating for their knee. And right away, because I know you, I can tell the first six exercises you're going to do no matter what. <laughs> it's going to be quad set, shorter quads, straight leg raises, you know, the whole gamut. Um, having those cookie cutter treatments, I think, is uh, something I see regularly at multiple places I've been. Um, even shadowed. And I think that is, uh, I think it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think we can all do better. We, uh, there are a lot of chiropractors do something we, we call the flying seven, which is, uh, basically seven adjustments throughout the body, which is right side SI, left side SI, thoracic, cervical, cervical, like you just add it up and it's seven adjustments. Right. And yep. that is the standardized, you know, adjustment. It, it's like your first seven exercise, but this is our first seven adjustments. And I think if you're doing that, you you really don't have a concept of what the hell you're going after. It goes back to my first point. Exactly. And, yeah. And actually, you may be creating more risk. And about twenty percent of the people, you don't want to overmobilize certain joints in their spine. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I don't think most chiropractors realize is you've just bet on the fact that this is a spine-based condition. That that's yes. the problem. Yep. And that ain't always the problem. So you right. got to get out of that. But yeah, I I do love that because what drives me nuts too, Adam, in that is like you know, teaching SFMA, like people ask these, like, I want to honor the fact they're at the seminar. I want to honor the fact that they are looking to get better. But then sometimes they ask questions that appear low level, meaning how do I do better quad sets? Or how do I recruit, like volitionally recruit more of the right quad? And it's like, you're focusing on the wrong side of the problem here. (laughs) Right. You know, I remember listening to this show where this kid called in one time, and he's like, hey, uh, I smoke crack, but I smoke it out of an aluminum can. And I heard that you can get aluminum oxide poisoning from the can. <laughs> and the doctor who's on the show is like, you're focused on the wrong side of the equation here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think sometimes that happens in rehab too. It's like, let me, uh, teach me a better way to do this. And you're like, well, if you're doing that, you're already on the wrong side of the equation. Right. And I don't know. I think there is a time and a place for a lot of the different exercises, but if like, if you have, again, you talked about earlier, if you have a 70 year old with general knee pain, Mm -hmm. you have a 15 year old basketball player, general knee pain, you probably shouldn't be starting off with quad sets, straight leg raise, short arc quads like that. If I, and if I think if you are, it's, it's extremely cookie cutter. Then at that point, what's the point of your assessment to begin with? Right. My opinion the, as I've gone along in my career, I put way more value on my assessment skills than my exercise prescription. I think, like I said before, I think there's a lot of ways you can treat somebody, but it all starts with coming up with a, a, a very sound assessment. 
I love um, it. Yeah. So if you're a cookie cutter, then your assessment is, uh, like, and what's the point of your assessment at that point, right? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I already know I'm doing these six things today. What am I assessing? Right. You're, you're just coming up to a thing and then lying to yourself and saying, well, no matter what I found, I'm still going to do these six. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I see it a lot personally with, uh, um, like hip issues. Hmm. Like I almost always, they start off with like bridges, clamshells. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a lot of people, they can bypass those low level exercises and do a lot more advanced things. Like if you think there's a hip issue, a hip weakness issue, um, you need to assess that first, but uh, not everyone needs to do clamshells. They can do, get on their feet, do more um, higher level things that actually actively recruit those muscles. All right. This is one thing that I'm going to say is my next point. I think we're on number All four right. here. This drives me absolutely bonkers is the lack of regressions and progressions of exercises. Yes. It's not just that everybody starts in the same location, but it's that like people don't know how to make something easier or harder. And I'll give you this example. Like I've, I think a lot of people have assigned glute bridges on the table as like, Hey, let's start doing this. Right. And I've seen some where you get, again, that 85 year old grandmother, great grandmother, who's like doing everything but hip extension to get her hips up. And they're like, we'll try harder and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, if you have to give, four, five, six, 20 verbal cues in the first two or three minutes of rehab. The problem is not the patient. The problem is you are assigning a task that's way too complicated for them. Way too complicated. Maybe that woman needs to start with just, you know, uh, volitional contractions of her glute just to understand like, oh, there's a muscle there. I used to be able to control it back in my fifties and now I shall regain it. (laughs) But, and then again, talking to your, like your basketball player, like doing 18 sets of 20 glute bridges on the table ain't going to get him back to playing basketball aggressively, right? Like right. as soon as he shows you, hey, I can easily do glute bridges, we need to progress him into something that might even look like the sport he's trying to return to, right? Oh, might even shocking. look like the position he got Weird. injured in. Weird. Yeah, you see this too. Absolutely. I think it's, um, I think we get, we fall in love sometimes. Again, this is something that I see with a newer, newer therapists that come on is we fall in love with these like table-based exercises. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it's, I, th- I think a lot of it is a fear of progression, especially as the patient is a little bit older. Um, mm-hmm. or they're always afraid to push them to yep. do, get on their feet, to do something like squats or whatever it might be. Uh, I think, so again, we just fall in love with those table-based things because we know they're safe. Um, people are sometimes perceived as fragile and we're afraid to progress them. I think too, you know, one little logistical tip I'll give people here is um, sometimes the wall that's in that private office that's keeping us out of the rehab or gym area, that wall is bigger in our mind than it is in the, phys- the physical location. Right. And if you really want to get aggressive about people, don't go into a private treatment room. Treat them on a table out in the gym or treat them in a, even on the floor out in the gym so that you can go right into gym-based exercises because sometimes... I think there's just, you know, we're all busy. We got the clock ticking and stuff. We're like, I don't, and I'll do this table-based thing because I don't want to get her up, grab the jacket, put on the shoes, walk out there, take off the shoes, blah, blah, blah. But just do it right then and there in the table, as long as you're not obviously exposing like glutes for dry needling or something. But, you know, get get aggressive and then get them on their feet doing something hard that uh, that will actually progress them, especially if you're after visit. I don't know what it is for you, but for me, like after visit four, like we need to see some something that looks 
very much like exercise, not yeah. something that looks very much like a mini band, uh, you know, internal external rotation for the shoulder crap. Right. I mean, it, to me, it, we see a lot of post-surgicals. Obviously, we have surgical precautions we've got to worry about, but your, your non-surgical cases that we have, um, definitely get them doing functional things as soon mm-hmm. as you can, really. Uh, I think that's a, I think that's a big downfall everywhere as uh, yeah. providers. We're just, we don't, we don't challenge them enough. And it goes with the progressions you're doing. If you can do 15 like uh, bridges, like you're talking about, and then, and it's not hard, like they should be doing more. If they're doing them well, and it, they just rep right through them. No fatigue. What are you, what are you accomplishing? Are you still making the glute stronger? Right. Or are you still getting that neuromuscular adaptation? Or do you need to start putting like weight to it, getting them on their feet and doing like squats or mm-hmm. something similar? Um, and the, the same, the same token with that is, uh, what I see is that our exercise lists tend to get very long. Like if you're doing mm. quad sets, like day one, can they come in and doing quad sets, uh, to regain volitional control of the quads. And then you're three weeks down the road and you got them doing like box jumps. Mm-hmm. Like, why are they still doing quad sets? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's another, that might be a different topic, but that is another thing that I see that mm-hmm. irritates the crap out of me. Yeah. Is we do these basic things. We're also doing advanced things that, um, like what benefit are we still getting from the basic quad set at this point? Like, why so, so let's make that its own point. Cause I think that's a big one. So the thing that drives you nuts is maybe like not reassessing the program the person's doing, just adding to it. Exactly. Like we're progressing them. Um, we're adding things like we should, but we're not yeah. get. we're not, but now they're not hour and 45 minutes into rehab every day going, Jesus, is this going to get any worse? Yeah. When, when half that time is spent doing something they're getting no benefit from. At yeah. This That's something yeah. that benefited them two months ago. Um, not anymore. If you're doing yeah. box jumps, long arc yeah. quads probably aren't doing much for you. You know, one thing I'll say that this also goes along with, I hear a lot of PTs, um, complain about patient compliance. I hear that more than, than Kairos. Because, uh, you know, in 15 minutes, we kick them out the door. We don't care how compliant they are. <laughs> uh, you guys are dragging this thing out to an hour. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, the, when I hear, hey, my patients, I can't get them to be compliant about X. In my mind, what I think is that's incorrect exercise uh, assignment. Meaning you haven't find the thing that actually, A, makes their pain different. Like if they do an exercise of five reps of it and it makes their pain different. Like yesterday, my back was aching because I've, long-standing low back pain. I did um, Turkish get-ups. Why do I do Turkish get-ups? Because 95% of the time I do them, my back pain feels better. So guess what? I'm willing to go out into my garage. It's cold. I grab a cold kettlebell. It's the winter. I'm laying on the floor in there doing get-ups. Why? Because it works. And I love that. I love that, you know? Yep. And so many times we were like, yeah, do three sets of 15 glute bridges. How's your back pain? Hmm. It's about the same. Okay. Let's do six more sets. How's your back pain? Oh, it's 4% better. Like who? I wouldn't do that. Would you? Like what? I don't right. care if you're a therapist or not. Nobody would do that crap. That's crappy no, I care. Wouldn't. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I like, I, I don't like running. I've been training for a Spartan race. Now I run. If, yeah. if, if I kept running, I'm not getting better at running for the Spartan race. I'm not going to run. Right. Right. Yeah. We're not going to go from like, Hey, you can run three miles to let's go 30 miles. Then we're going to go for a hundred miles. It's like, why? The race is three miles long. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I lost my train of thought here. That's all right. I think we get, we beat this horse. Let's move on to another point. Like, right. I think I was going to say the, um, uh, 
patients need or clients, they need to understand the value. If something's too easy or not making them better, they don't get the value. They're not going to mm-hmm. do it on their own, right? Okay. Yeah. Theoretically. <laughs> theoretically. Yes, theoretically. <laughs> Sometimes they're trying to get out of work or something, but that's pretty rare. I mean, most of the people in outpatient ortho, especially that's one thing I love about working in a cash-based system like country club golfers. As long as you're showing them value, they'll keep coming in and they'll tell right. you that you're providing the right care by paying you. As soon as that stops, you need to ask like, maybe I provided the wrong care. Right. Because my experience of country club golfers, the chance of me providing crappy care is well ahead of their, of the patient's inability to pay for care. <laughs> True. That's, that's they, a great way to put it. And I agree. Yeah. They can pay a hundred bucks a session for <laughs> about a millennia before, <laughs> before they run out of cash. And yet I will, uh, you know, I might not assign a great exercise program. So, right. yeah, that's great. So, well, let's move on. What's something else that pisses you off uh, that you see all the time in rehab and, and PT facilities? Um, uh, I'll say a very basic one that's argued all the time is the use of modalities. Um, there's been very poor research for a lot of years now on the use of like something like ultrasound. Mm-hmm. If you go into a clinic and there's three people there and they're all getting ultrasound on their ankle... Um, again, what, uh, what, what, why are you doing that? Are we doing it because it's an easy $10 insurance will reimburse? Right. Um, or are you doing it because the person who was there before you, that's what, that's just what they did, which right. is the worst answer to ever give for any question. Right. Not even the problem with, with at least in the PT world, like those modalities, they're all taught in school still. Yeah. Um, we, oh, I they mean, are in Cairo too, dude. Like yeah, I, mean, when I, was in, I went to school f- 15 years ago and I, I went back to, I taught at a school three years ago or two years ago. And I'm like, there's no way they're still teaching ESTEM. And I go in there and it's like, you know, there's a little sheet on there, like galvanic versus, you know, Russian versus right. I'm like, what are we doing? Right. And that's, you see these ultrasound machines everywhere. All, yeah. I mean, all clinics, like we have an ultrasound machine. We have probably three of them. Um, right. They never get used anymore. Luckily at my right. clinic. Um, but you, you still see people like that open up new clinics these days. One of the first things they buy ultrasound unit. And it's crazy to me, like for what they cost too, like 3000 bucks or I've seen them 10,000 bucks. Imagine we can get for that instead. Oh my God. The the amount of kettlebells, foam rollers and and bands that you can get for that. You could have a a 7,000 square foot clinic for the cost of one stupid rollerstone machine. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is uh, to me about those, like, you know, teaching a lot of times it'll be like, you know, we'll say like, Hey, going back, like we want to create hip extension. Right. And then you ask them, is this a mobility problem or a stability problem? They say, Oh, it's mobility. All right, cool. So we're going after some sort of tissue or the joint, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then they agree. And that's like, all right, what would you do next? And then you'll get answers like Easton ultrasound. It's like, what have you ever done that? Trying to get a, I mean, have you measured a joint before and after ultrasound? Yeah. What gets, what makes it better, right? Right. Like, okay. The only thing, the only reason I would say that ultrasound might get a joint to move more is the, the effective massage that you're doing with the wand. That's about it. Right. I always say even less than that is the, the placebo effect for the patient. Yeah. Like they feel like they're better. They might relax more. The joint might move better. Yeah. That's Um, about it. Yeah. I think I've probably used ultrasound twice in the past two years. I've seen a lot of people at time and one of them was there was a specific physician that directly put that on the referral. This is when I first took a job mm-hmm. and I didn't use it. 
And then like three weeks later, this patient had her follow-up care, this physician, and he was mad because I wasn't using ultrasound. Even though she was better, he was still mad. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, I'll do you a solid. I'll do a couple (laughs) sessions of ultrasound. And the only other time was uh, at a patient that I took on from a different provider. Like they left the clinic that that was, they were getting ultrasound. They came to, they came on my schedule uh, and that was their expectation. Um, didn't use it a couple times. This patient comes back and says, oh, she's not feeling as good. She thinks the ultrasound was the big difference. Yep. No matter how much I preached and prodded, try to steer her away. Finally just gave in like, all right, if I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think it's going to do much, but if you want it done, we'll do it a couple sessions, see how you feel. And ironically enough, of course she gets better. Yeah. Maybe we could make a lot of money, Adam, if we came up with like what, you know, the, the tens units you can buy on like Amazon. If we came up with a home ultrasound unit, that was really just a, a flashlight with a smooth end. There you go. You know, just have and, a, and I have a switch like, turn on. Yeah, lit up like crazy blue. Just you know, some so that, fun gel to put on there. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yep. And we'll sell them for like fifty bucks each. FDA approved. You know, because it's not doing anything, so it's <laughs> yeah, it's not hurting them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Great three plan, three sessions a day, and uh, and then we send really expensive batteries on like kind of like a what, you know, Harry's Razors or Dollar Shave Clubs does, you know, like, yep. oh, well, if you've been using your ultrasound unit, you should be out of batteries by now. <laughs> we'll make millions. There we go. And, and our outcomes will probably be as good as those who are getting <laughs> real ultrasound. Right. And, and I, I will say, I think there's, I think the placebo effect for any intervention is a real thing. Yeah. I think it adds a lot of value. Um, do I think ultrasound is the way to go about that? Uh, definitely not. Right. Like, I will say, like, I've had a lot of patients that come in and they want to get adjusted. And to them, visiting the chiropractor without getting adjusted is, it just doesn't fit in their mind. And I'm like, this person needs stability all day long. But you know what? Hey, I'll adjust above and below and, you know, give you the crack and pop. And if you think that's the effective part, that's fine. Although in most of those cases, it's the exercise we did after or, you know, that that really made the difference. But hey, if you think that's fine or... A lot of people, oh, I want a Graston technique or whatever, you know, like some name right. technique, ART, right on, right on. Right. And then no. we're going to get into exercise, you know. You, you'll like this being a chiropractor. I had a patient this morning, actually, ironically enough. And he told me that he used to see a chiropractor. He doesn't anymore because he doesn't think the cracking and popping is very, like, is very helpful outside of what he can do. In his mind, he can twist his back and create that popping mm-hmm. sound. And therefore, he doesn't see the value in the chiropractor doing that you and I know what you're doing is way more than just getting the popping sound. Um, so I had to educate him a little bit, but, um, but again, if, if him just making himself pop makes him feel better, um, there's that placebo effect, right? Hey man, we might need to edit this out. If the APTA finds out you were advising a patient about the use of chiropractic, Uh we, uh, yeah, (laughs) you might lose your license, but (laughs) right. Yeah. Interesting. Awesome. Well, yeah, this is, oh man, it's so easy to talk about the things that, that, that frustrate us. Uh, and yeah, I, I got one more for you uh, that, that I want to cover. We kind of covered this before, but this drives me nuts and it has to do with, it's fueled by social media, fueled by social media. Uh, a lot of times you will see somebody start with or assign an overly aggressive, ridiculously complicated exercise or exercise routine that has a much higher likelihood of screwing the patient up than it does of actually fixing the problem. Like I see some of these people do like, all right, well, to rehab your hip, we want to do this kettlebell curtsy lunge. And then you're going to use a slider. And at the end, when you get to the terminal curtsy, I want you to press the, and I'm like, 
is this a Cirque du Soleil performance or is this rehab? I'm, I can't tell anymore because, you know, maybe we need them in a, in a leotard or something. Like this is the most ridiculous exercise to complete a very simple task. And, you know, I know I talked earlier about regressing things to make them simple enough, but my God, like sometimes people stop with all the garbage. Right. But that's sexy though, Josh. Oh, yeah. You got you to balance you know, sexy, sexy and helpful. Actually getting them better. That's really <laughs> sexy. I agree. But yeah, you definitely do see a lot of, I don't know what the right word is, but just unique, um, overly complicated things yeah. done. Um, you're right. It's social media. It gets, it gets people to look at it. Right. Um, I think in my experience, some of the best personal trainers, best chiropractors, best PTs, they own the basics. They do the basic <laughs> things, the basic <laughs> movements very, very well. And so I think if you can, I think you, that, I think you need to start there. There's, you break down those complicated exercises again. What, yeah. what, what's the purpose of throwing in the curtsy lunge? Or what's the purpose of throwing in that press? Um, you know, it just. Yeah, I think, uh, I think too, people, again, going back to my first thing, they don't know what they're trying to do. Sometimes there's this problem where it's like the person is holding a kettlebell in that video as like a counterweight. But then somebody interprets that to be like, oh, we want to challenge them with load. And, those things are way different. One is different, for different purposes, it right? Yeah. And one is to make it harder. And because you're an idiot, you don't know which one is which. So you're assuming it's harder. Right. And a lot of those, a lot of those overly complicated things you see on social media started from somewhere. I saw this person do this. Let's make it harder. But again, like you said, the, the purpose of the exercise is ex- extremely right. different. They're polar opposites. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've, I think if people listen to this and just make a, a to-do list for the year of not doing any of the things that we said in this, <laughs> you're going to have the best year of your life in clinic, you know, and, uh, and it doesn't matter if you're a chiropractor, ATC or PT, right? Like it, you're going to be better. Um, last question for you, Adam, if you were to set up a world-class rehab facility, okay, you had to be able to handle everybody from Dustin Johnson uh, or Brooks Kepka because he's dealing with some knee and, and, and wrist right. pain. Tiger Woods, uh, all the way down to a 15-year-old female volleyball player with shoulder injury from uh, serving volleyball to the 80, you know, your 85-year-old grandmother with knee pain. And you have to get it down to five pieces of equipment, no more than five. Whoa. Name your five pieces of equipment. Tough, tough. I would say being a therapist. Ultrasound machine. Okay, yeah, ultrasound ahead. machine, Easton machine. Uh, uh, bike. Laser right? therapy. <laughs> Exercise bike. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. I would, I would, you, first thing, I mean, probably basic, want a treatment table so I can do okay. some of the skilled manual work. Uh, All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that already exists. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, yep. I love doing work with medicine balls. Okay. Okay. I love doing work with like, um, like I think cable machines, I think they're, uh, you can get a lot of bang for your buck. You can do a lot of different exercises for that. Okay. Um, I would need a set of kettlebells. Okay. Uh, was that three? So let's go back real quick. Medicine balls, how heavy? I'm only going to give you three weights that you can get. Three weights. I would say six, 12, 20. Pounds. Pounds. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. We're in America. Yep. <laughs> All right. You know, that old saying there, there are two types of countries, those that use the metric system and those that put a man on the moon. 
there you go. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. I, All right. So we got medicine balls, a cable cross machine, like a free motion or something like that. Yeah, like a free motion. You got it. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, you're obviously uh, spending the clinic's money here, not your own. And yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> if I get five, I'm, I'm yeah. not getting 20. Things. All right. So kettlebells, I'm going to say you can only get like three to five weights. Okay. Um, I would go, I would definitely get two different sets of heavy um, for like different like farmer's carries. So maybe, maybe like a 70 pounder and a 50 pounder, something. Okay. All right. Then I would go a little bit lighter for some stability. So I'm talking maybe somewhere even like 10 pounds. Okay. I'm doing like overhead stability type work. Yep. Uh, like bottoms up type stuff. Um, so super light and pretty damn heavy. And then, yeah, then just, you want to get two more anywhere in the middle. Um, okay. so if I got 80 and 50 or 70 and 50, I'd probably want like a 15, 25, 35. Okay. Maybe. Awesome. All right. So we got three things there and any other two? Um, um, I would throw in, Maybe if I'm treating high level, I definitely want to throw in some kind of squat rack as well. Okay. Um, it, so uh, if, it's, if I can use a squat rack and do both things, I can do um, isometric mid-thigh pulls. I can do, I can do, um, um, I can do squat, front squats, back squats. I can do deadlifts, things so like that. So you're getting the strength more, right? Yeah. I, if I'm treating people that high level, I don't think, if you're not incorporating strength, you're not, uh, yeah. you're not yeah. doing them justice. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, anything I mean, else you think you need? I need, need, no want many things. Yeah. Okay. Tell me your list, Josh. Uh, so I'll put another caveat on here. I think you have a good list. I'm going to say for anybody listening, that's like, Hey, I'm, I'm either in school or I'm early or I'm going to go out on my own. I would say if we were to make that same list, but I'm going to put one caveat it has to total under a thousand dollars. Here's what I would do. Ooh, Meaning right. you could buy this and you could keep it in your apartment. You could keep it at your house. You can treat people in your garage, whatever you want to do. Like yeah. you're going on your own, you're starting your own clinic. I would start with two AirX pads. I think just being able to have people kneeling is, is huge. And then also compensate for high two, two AirX pads. I would probably install a pull-up bar on the wall and for, for overhead stuff, but also it's a good attachment point for bands. So I would get like a super light and a heavy FMT band or gray cook band. Yeah. And that pull-up bar would be an attachment. And on the pull-up bar, I'd probably have either a set of rings or a TRX because I like that for assisted. Some kind of suspension system. Yeah. So like going, when you're working into say single leg squats or, or, you know, split squats or something, having that ring assist is, is good. So I said, Eric's pads, bands, pull-up bar. And then I would say kettlebells. I, I just don't know how to get away from those. Once you use them, it's one of those things before I used them, I was like, why is he making a big deal? It's just cast iron, like use a dumbbell or something. <laughs> right. But man, they work so much better for so many things. They you do. Know? And they're very and versatile. Say, yeah. Set of kettlebells. I would, I would say, um, if I were to start with only three, it would be like, a uh, that somewhere between 15, and 20 pounds. So I think it's like 18 pounds. If this is in kilos, 18 pounds, 26, 35 is good for women who are strong, but I would actually jump up to a 44 because that's where you can get guys to, you know, and especially athletes start. It's heavy enough where you can really challenge them, especially overhead and stuff. And right. then if I could, I'd go again, 53, 70, 
and I might even get a nine pound on the low end. I, I kind of right. agree with your thinking there. Um, I love the heavy just for like, like farmer's carriers. I think a unilateral yeah. farmer's walk yep. can, is good for so many different things. Yep. The other thing I really like it for is it's high enough where you can ask them to like squat down and press on it. And it's like eight inches off the, the ground. So it's a good kind of stable base, but you know, they, they can mess with it. Yeah. Pick it up, press it down, press it in the ground. Um, and in goblet squats, for example, I don't care how you str- how strong you are. If you take a 70 pound kettlebell and start squatting, I know you are quote unquote activating your core. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You ain't got no choice. Right. Yeah. I would yeah, definitely then, add those uh, FMT bands, those great cook bands to a list. Yeah. I, those are, I, I do a lot man, of those. I do them a lot. I use them a lot. All yeah, levels. and you can throw them in your backpack and take them to the golf course with you. You know, that, that's one thing I do love about them is portability. So, I agree. Yeah, I think that's, that's great. With everything that we just said, there's no reason you have to do crappy rehab. So I hope you guys hear that. Uh, neither one of us mentioned anything that had to be plugged into the wall. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think... My biggest thing as well, like from what we talked about today is if I had to pick one uh-huh. that the, that like a, like a new grass should take away is there's do like get good at something. First of mm-hmm. all, use what you're good at. I think mm-hmm. like we said before, there's more than one way to make somebody better. Um, whether it's uh, different professions, Cairo PT, even just as PTs, there's more than one way you can rehab a certain injury. Um, I think knowing what you're good at, getting really, really good at assessing. And once you're good at assessing, you can treat it multiple different ways as long as you know what you're working on and you do yep. it well. Yeah. Especially in the post-pandemic world where you may not be able to get hands-on with that person. So you got to guide them through on a, over FaceTime or Zoom or something. And, yes. uh, you know, that's when you got, I think that adds another layer of challenge, I will say. Right. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. Awesome. Well, Adam, I want to say thanks for all the time today and I appreciate your insight. Um, I think we brought uh, PT and Cairo together today. So I think we should move on from here into the Middle East. So, I think we yeah, can really bring some people go. together there. Yeah. Going yeah. to politics next. That's right. Yeah. It's so simple. <laughs> yes. uh, and we, we conquered the big one. So Adam, why don't you give out some information uh, where you are and if people want to get a hold of you, how, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, best way to reach out to me personally, I just say reach out to me on Instagram. Uh, okay. Like at, at Adam Halseth, um, pretty easy to find. Um, and shoot it's me a message. for us. H A L S E T H. So it's only one L in there. Only one L. You got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then you can find me on the. You can find me on TPI's website. If you go to uh, uh, foothillsrehab.com, uh, you can search my name on there. You can get my person, like my work info, to find me that way as well. Awesome. All right. Well, on behalf of Adam Halseth, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license, no matter which license you have, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks a lot, Adam. All right. Appreciate it, Josh. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I want to let you know that this episode was brought to you by ClinicGymConnect.com. ClinicGymConnect.com. Now, if you want to grow your practice, add a gym, provide great customer service, Whatever you want to do in your clinic or in your gym, Clinic Gym Connect can help you do it faster, easier, more efficiently, and make your patients and clients fall in love with you. So just check it out at clinicgymconnect.com.